Welcome back to another episode of Empower You Podcast. I am your host, Michael Abney. Thank you so much for joining us today. So we put a little spotlight on living life a little bit more conscious. We're here to share some insightful stories, hear about people's journey, and hopefully inspires and empowers you to live your best life and do it just a little bit more consciously. So are you guys ready to power up? Because I am, and I'm ready to introduce our guests for today. Her name is Erin Mann, and on her submission form, the first line was, um, going from FBI to stay-at-home mom. And I'm like, okay, I'm hooked. I don't even care what this is about. And then your has something to the, the elderberries was definitely another. So I want to know how all of this stuff connects. I want to kind of get your story about your jumping off point. Like you were just living life as an FBI? Like what? Huh? Like, tell me more about this. Thank you well, for being here, off, too. Like, I appreciate it. <laughs> well, no, I was going to say, first off, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, yeah, I always absolutely. love doing things like this. But, yeah, so I had a mom and a dad who were both in the FBI. Uh, my mom quit as soon as I was born to be a stay-at-home mom so that my dad could, you know, kind of climb the ladder um, within the bureau and travel the world and, you know, save America, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to grow up in a, in a family where – I saw, you know, my dad getting to go travel and do all these amazing, awesome things. Like he got to work some really cool cases when I was growing up. And I also got to see the other side of it with my mom staying home and kind of supporting that because she understood what the Bureau life was like. And but she wanted to make sure that I, as a young lady, you know, had a good upbringing as well. And so I never really knew anything else other than the Bureau. Um, Law enforcement was kind of always my jam. I, you know, loved the spooky, you know, serial killer style movies because I always knew who did it like three minutes into the movie. Right. And my my nickname, my nickname in high school was Clarice because I always wear my hair, you know, kind of just straight as a board because I didn't know how to curl it. Um, You know, I have very fair white skin. So I was just kind of I don't want to say pegged into this like spot, but. It's kind of all I ever knew. I didn't want to be a vet. I didn't want to be a doctor. I only knew I was going to work for the FBI. And I kind of lived my lifestyle that way. Like I didn't get in trouble. I didn't do drugs in high school or college. I kind of set myself up to be successful for entry into that. And I graduated college, immediately applied. I was still a little bit too young, but I knew that it takes a while for them to do your background check, do your interviews. So I got my master's while I was waiting in criminology and worked as a bailiff, uh, you know, just as just to learn and to have that work experience to put on my resume. So when I was 22, I went into the bureau. Uh, I did a lot of undercover work, but then I also did counterintelligence, counterterrorism as an intel analyst. So I myself got to travel the world and work on all of these amazing cases. And it was just so much fun. Like you, sometimes you're like, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. Like I would pay someone to get to do this. And other days you just slap your head on your desk. <laughs> you know? So I have to ask you right now, like, so do you, do your personality is amazing, so I, I love Thanks. it. It's like very enjoyable, <laughs> but that is not that's not I does think, not go with you. like what my mind says that your profession yes. is about. <laughs> so, right? Were you right. like that 
Because I would have never pegged you, like never yeah. in a million years, which is probably yeah. really good, right? Yeah, and that's what made me really good at my job. You know, it's really good to kind of blend into situations and environments. But also, you know, what you see in the movies or what you see in the media isn't always exactly, obviously, you know, how life really is. And I feel like, especially in the media, they always take the most well-known stereotypical personality traits of agents or anyone in the bureau and put that into everyone's character for every FBI personnel in every movie made, right? Um, So I'm not saying there aren't some like that, but that doesn't mean that they aren't still great people, um, you know, and have amazing families and all of that. But you know, my dad is kind of the same way I am. We're very outgoing. We're very personable. We're, you know, we're just normal people, I guess. Well, so, I could imagine I'm people definitely... want to spill their guts too. Like, cause you're <laughs> yeah, people find before it you very even knew what was happening, right? It's like, you just totally confessed to everything. <laughs> I'm making yes. that up. Yeah, anyway, I'm having fun. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, so I I was never the one that wanted to get married, have kids. I was like, I'm going to live and die FBI. I mean, I was going to be director of the FBI by the time I was 35. I just wanted to travel the world, do awesome things, and, you know, just help protect this country. And that's what I did for 15 years. Uh, I ended up getting my PhD while I was in the Bureau as well. And then I ended up getting transferred to Washington, D.C., and then I met my husband <laughs> and okay. things just happen. You know, it's kind of one of those, you know, for whatever reason, uh, I met my husband right after the earthquake um, that happened in DC many years ago. And I was like, you know, maybe I could like settle down. My, my mom and dad both did it. My dad was gone all of the time. And like, I have an amazing relationship with my dad. Uh, you know, granted he was gone six to nine months out of the time when I was younger, but he is, he is and has always been my best friend. So I wasn't necessarily worried about that type of, oh, I don't want to do to my kids what my parents did to me. No, I have a fantastic family. I hit the family jackpot. Um, but I just wanted to be able to go and do how I wanted to and not have to worry about it. But when I met my husband, Craig, uh, you know, things just change and you're like, okay, you know, this is, this is doable. I can, I can do this. Not really what I saw happening for myself, but that's okay. You know, we can, we mm-hmm. can change as we go, as we get older, we don't have to be stuck in, you know, one thing that we envision for ourselves. Uh, so we got married in 2013 and then we decided we wanted to have a family and kind of all throughout the process, I wasn't really thinking about leaving the bureau. I was still, I want to travel. I want to do this. I want to do that. And when it became difficult, um, I don't want to get into too much, you know, detail, but when it's difficult, if you're traveling all the time to find time to have a, to make a family, you get where I'm going, get where I'm going with this. You need time I get what you're going. to have a family. I'm buying um, what you're selling. <laughs> was you he know, in like the, since you met him in DC, was he in pop, yeah. like, how did that relate? Was he in the FBI too? Like, were you? Yeah, no, no, no. And that's just like, no, that was like my rule. No dating within, you know, okay. government like work. Um, but the only because... people that are there are people that, you know, with the government, right? I mean, there's other people they're, that live there, but like. Yeah, they're with the government, but you also, not that I'm saying that everyone's a bad apple. I am not by any stretch of the imagination, but you see, like I said, some of those stereotypes that you have seen in the movies or in media. And you're like, I don't want to deal with that. I don't, and you know, you just, you just don't want to even try it. Um, but I, I met him actually online. Um, 
one of my friends told me when I moved up here, she was like, oh, you should do online dating because not only will it help you get out and see different parts of DC, because I moved up here from Alabama, so I did not even know my way around. She said, you know, you'll also meet other people and different types of people from all over. And it was a raging nightmare. Like, I could write a book on <laughs> my experience of dating when I first moved up here from online. And I, so he was actually the last person I was ever going to go out on a date with. I had pulled up. Yeah, yeah. I, I was Is like, it? I'm going to be, I was like, I'm going to be an old cat lady before I do this for like months or years or however long it would take me because uh -huh. the dates were just so bad. And I actually got online to cancel my subscription and because it was match.com back when it was like super big. I don't know if it is now, but back then it was super big. And I got on to cancel my subscription. And back then you had like your match of the day. And it just caught my eye because there was this guy and his profile picture was him in like a tank top, flip flops, and he was frying a turkey in the grass. And I'm like, there are four things wrong with this picture. <laughs> like you should not be frying a turkey in your flip flops because that's an emergency room waiting to happen. Um, you shouldn't be doing it over the grass because you're gonna burn whoever's house down you know, you're at. And I was just in one of those what my mom calls plucky Southern moods, where I was like, you know, I'm off of here anyways. I'm just going to tell you like what I think about you and how stupid your picture is. And he thought I was joking. He thought that was like my icebreaker. And I was like, he th yeah, he legitimately thought I was flirting with him. And, <laughs> and so he, you know, was like, oh, I like, you know, because I didn't have on my profile that I work for the FBI and I travel all the time. Um, you know, I just, but I worked in government that, you know, I was basically a secretary. And he was like, hey, you know, we should like meet up, see if we, you know, have anything in common and everything else. So I thought, you know, what is one more really bad date for my book? Because at that point I was pretty much said I was going to write a book about this. So I thought, you know, fine, one, one more. And we met and the rest was history. He's like the most normal person I had ever met pretty much in my entire life. And a lot of my girlfriends were like, He's probably a serial killer. We're just going to find out like 45 years later. <laughs> and there's like, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with him. We just don't know what it is, but he is fabulous. He was respectful. He was kind. He actually knows he's handy. He knows how to do things. I went out on a guy that couldn't oh, even hang a picture on a wall. And I was like, Ooh, I come from a DIY family. This is, I can't know you. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the dates <laughs> I went on, he asked me if I would ever move to a non extradition country. This was before he knew I worked for the FBI. So I was like, Red I'm going to take Woo. a taxi home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, I, oh, look at that. My cat's calling. I got to go home. Um, so it was just one bad thing after another. But yeah, we um, kept dating, obviously. And three years later, we got married. Uh, and then, like I said, we decided to have a family. And up until that point, I was, like I said, still, I was planning on continuing my work with the Bureau. But we had some trials and tribulations along the way. I actually almost lost my life um, with an ectopic pregnancy that ruptured. And thankfully, I was close enough to a hospital that they got me into surgery on time. And right after that, we ended up having our Lucas, our son that we have now. Um, we have lost several others after him. So he is like our miracle baby. Like we are meant to have this child that is right in front of us. Uh, but once I had him, just I think because of everything we went through to get to that point, I was like, 
nope, I'm not, I'm not going back to work. Um, I told, you know, I told my husband, I said, you know, I've spent my life either supporting my dad or my mom, protecting others. I have spent my career time doing the same, protecting American families and making sure that, you know, another 9-11 never happens again. And I think it's time I get to be a little selfish and stay home and protect my family. And that's what I did. So after that, I became a stay-at-home mom. (laughs) Were you an FBI agent during 9-11? No, I I was actually still in grad school. Um, Okay. Yeah. So, or not grad school, um, undergrad. Um, It was my last year. Um, but I, my dad was actually taking a new agents class through the Academy at Quantico. He was, he was an agent, but he was a counselor for that class. So they bring in TDY people to do that. And the week before we had come up for their graduation. So director Mueller had just, you know, kind of taken over at that point. And it was his first graduation, um, with, you know, a, a new agents class. So we went, you know, we got to meet him and all of that. And two days later, like my mom and I flew home the night before 9-11 happened. So I got home, went to bed, woke up to the news. So my mom and I had no idea, you know, what was going on like at Quantico, like with my dad, you know, it was, it was a very scary and weird thing um, because her and I had never really experienced that when he was gone before. Um, so just something that big happening was was very interesting at the time. It's curious. It was such a turning point for so many people. And your, yes. your tie and your background, I just was mm-hmm. interested. That was like when, that was yeah. the very first time I ever heard my guides talk to me that loud, you know, that because they were like, this mm-hmm. is why you came here was yeah. for whatever I, was to unfold after. That seems so crazy. That's been 22 yeah. years ago, but like, oh, oh, I know. I'm like, I'm not old enough for that to be <laughs> long ago, but I think it was a turning point for me in as much as what I wanted to do in the bureau, because my dad worked all criminal cases. Um, so he worked like the Unabomber case. He worked the Oklahoma city bombing. He first got into counterterrorism um, with the embassy bombings in Kenya and Tanzania. So that was kind of the first time I really learned about Osama bin Laden and about, you know, uh, you know, all of that. And when nine 11 happened, you know, I, I kind of told my dad, I said, I, a shift is coming. Like a, a huge shift is going to happen for not only, you know, our counterintelligence mission overseas, but also how we as a law enforcement agency operate here. And, you know, I said, I just, I want to be a part of that. I want to make sure that this does not happen because I feel like in my dad's time, um, he really focused, was more focused on like domestic terrorism because that's who he was, you know, yeah. Everyone, you know, blew up, you know, the Atlanta, um, the Atlanta city bombing and, you know, all of that. He was kind of focused on that domestic terrorism kind of path or issues that we dealt with for so long. And then this kind of international started. And that's kind of where I came in. And I said, you know, I think this is where I am supposed to be. And, you know, I went into the bureau um, specifically for that, to be trained in that, to learn that, to, you know, operate those types of cases. And, and that's what I did uh, for 15 years. When did you leave? Uh, 2015. When 2015. my, yeah, or actually 2016. So it was, my son was born in 2015, and then I took as much maternity leave I had built up. I took as much annual leave as I had built up um, because it still counted towards my retirement. So I kind of 
you know, played my, played the system yeah. a little bit as far as like my leave and stuff like that. But I, I was no longer active really in cases after my son was born. So before we go into your shift, I just mm-hmm. have to ask because of the climates today and like yeah. literally half yeah. the freaking country is like, has all of these, you know, bullshit ideas that they like, <laughs> yeah. How do you deal with that with your, because you have a passion for it and thank you for mm-hmm. your service because it's a service. Sure. Thank you for your service. And like, how does that affect you now that, that you can, I'm sure you hold a, a larger picture that you can see, you know, oh. the, how this is being mm-hmm. played out, you know, from a 30,000 yeah. feet view, but like, what's your, what's your feeling? Like, what's your heart say about that? I mean, I'll be honest, my heart's sad. It's sad a lot of the time when I hear stuff like that. Um, obviously, I don't know what I knew when I was in the bureau, right? When you're like in the weeds of it all. But I do know how to root through and listen for the BS in the media. Because, and you, you don't really figure that out until you're actually in it. Because working some of the cases that I have worked and then seeing how they're portrayed on the media, um, because you know, what I did, people never knew about. If you saw me on TV, there was an issue. (laughs) Like I should, you know, I'm not the one that should be seen. I'm in the background. I, you know, you should never see me. So the faces that are, you know, up front and the things, you know, the source reporting, or, you know, we heard from a confidential source from a news media outlet or something, you listen to that and you had literally been, you know, sitting somewhere where, you know, 48 hours prior, what is actually going on. And you really understand, one, how they can tweak it and why they tweak it. So it's not so much they're just blatantly lying for, you know, no reason. You can yeah. actually see Steve. what they're setting things up for. And to me, that, w- that was the scariest part. And so oftentimes I didn't, when I was in the bureau, I didn't watch the news. I read the news. So that, you know, and that was kind of always required of us anyways or expected of you. You spent hours making sure you read through the news, kept yourself, you know, abreast of what's going on, you know, in the world. But then you also had to take it with a grain of salt, right? Um, So now when I hear it, I make myself remember, okay, that is not exactly how it is. Um, And, you know, even some stuff that I worked on, you know, let's say I've been out of the bureau almost eight years now, is now just coming to the forefront of some of the media. And I'm like, nope. You know, and I'm like, they're still doing it, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. So, yeah. you know, I, I kind of just remind myself, like, it is not what you hear. Uh, there is truth in everything, you know, obviously. And, you know, just like when I was in the bureau, I'm like, there's truth here. There's a story here and or a story here, a story here. And the truth lies somewhere over here. And you kind of have to figure out what's going on or what story is trying to be portrayed to figure out which direction the actual truth leans towards. So it, it does hurt my heart, especially with a lot of stuff that has been going on because I grew up in an era where the Bureau was respected, feared yeah. a little bit, but respected and was respected all across the, the globe. And I feel like we live in a society today where it's just like, yeah, it's just like dive bombed. And, you know, it, it, it hurts my heart because 
I still have a lot of friends and co- you know coworkers that are still and you know there. Their heart. You know, and I know heart. them. Yes, it's not like yeah. oh, I don't know you. Oh yeah, everybody that works in the FBI is like great and golden and pure as gold. No, I mean there's bad apples in everything, everything. right? But yeah. for those that are still there, that they're people are talking about specific units or specific offices, and I know those people. I'm like, if you guys only knew, if you only knew. You would not, but I can't tell them why they should only know, right? I have to keep that. And the ability for, you know, I didn't live through that time where where it's so hard to be in the Bureau. I championed those people like even more for being able to stay and not be like, never mind, almost like bullied out, if that makes sense. Like feeling just bullied by just general America. I like really praise them for having the strength to stay and do things right to where those that could be doing things wrong, don't take over, you know, don't like become the masses. Yeah. Thank you for Sorry, sharing that. was like that. very long winded. No, no, it's important. <laughs> I, it's important because it's yeah. who you are and you're exuding that and that's what's happening. So it's like, that's part of like why I do want to do this is have conversations that may be uncomfortable sometimes for folks to mm-hmm. listen to, but at least we're like talking about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to, be controversial or anything like that. I'm just trying to like, we can talk about anything. We can, Mm -hmm. we really can talk about anything. And I love that. Because if we don't, (laughs) we end up pitted, you know? And like, like I grew up in the country and a lot of my family members and stuff like bought into that stuff, but I know their hearts. Mm -hmm. I know that they don't mean that. And I know where they're coming from, but I also know that all of us grew up with an enormous amount of fear, Mm -hmm. um, you know, of life and innuendos about, you know, you know, the big Illuminati people out there, you know, like I remember that stuff when I was a kid, like people think that's, that's new. I spent 2000. I mean, I'm going to tell on myself, but like I went down that rabbit hole yeah, maybe twice, you know, (laughs) like there were some things on September 11th that I couldn't see, you know, but I'm like, Mm -hmm. now I look back and like, Oh my God, you know, like, (laughs) Yeah. Was, what did I buy into this or like, where was I at in that time? And I remember like in 2008 before uh, president Obama became president Obama. Like I remember like that was a year that the, all the stuff was like the crescendo mm-hmm. from all of the stuff from, t- you know, tw- 2000 or 2001, all of that stuff really, it, it, it is like it is now, but like 15 times worse now than it was then. Yes. But yeah. I remember that going down all of those things and like it was feeding something that was already inside of me, you know, Mm -hmm. and I didn't have the perspective that I do now to know, you know, that everything here on this planet is energy. Mm -hmm. Everything is energy. And we are the only ones here, unless there's something I don't know about, that are creating that energy. Like there's nobody yeah. else except for just us, but we all walk yeah. around like there's a big boogeyman out there <laughs> and we don't have any control over, but is right. it? No, yeah. it's not. So just <laughs> talking about it, mm-hmm. like having a bell go off for somebody, you know, like whatever that thing is like, so for me, mm-hmm. I've had all of these different, you know, different spaces. Sounds like you do too, you know, where mm-hmm. it was like 2014 is when I had another one, when I, was you know i was diagnosed with hiv then and like mm-hmm. having like you know that being a death sentence and well not it is mm-hmm. not now but like 
right. I came out when I was 1984 when it was, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. so energetically oh, yeah. I ran from that my entire life. And then to be like, you know, I was in fear of that for all of those years. And then the minute that I found out that it happened, then I, in a sense, I was free because I wasn't right. running from it anymore. But that's that literally was the spark. Like, I wouldn't be alive if that hadn't happened because yeah. I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't like healthy. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, smoking. Like, there was just like nothing about my life was healthy. I became yeah. a healthy person after I. You know, and I had lupus too, yeah. like after that, like, so okay. when somebody yeah. tells you mm-hmm. dying, like it, yeah. it, it shifts you. And oh, yeah. so it, like it having your experiences and you're having your experiences where, you, you know, you're having the, you know, difficulty in bringing life into the world, that's mm-hmm. a struggle. And then you have this and then you leave the bureau. So what's this last, like your, your last iteration <laughs> of yourself? You're like, you're like, how does this even connect? Um, how does this yeah. connect to elderberries? Please tell me. <laughs> Million dollar question. Um, no. So like I said, uh, Lucas funny. is, I, well, yeah, cause you know, I tell people, I'm like, considering what I thought my life was going to be like and how I had roadmapped my life when I was younger if I was, you know, standing on a street corner in Paris and someone would have walked up to me and said, I'm from the future and you are going to be an elderberry manufacturer in your early or late thirties, I would be like, and walk so away. You, you know, manufacture or I elderberries? Yes, I do. Um, okay. I, I make a lot of things. <laughs> so, okay. okay. This is how it happened. I became a stay-at-home mom with my little blob of a son, our little miracle baby, Lucas. Um, When he was one, I was doing like any typical Southern mama does and planning like the biggest barbecue bash for his first birthday party. We were planning a trip back home to Alabama and my husband's family is in Florida. So we were kind of stopping in Florida, then going back to Alabama and driving back to DC. Um, So we had this huge, big family party planned. So we packed up went to Florida and Lucas popped a fever on our first night there. And of course I immediately called the pediatrician because he had never had, he had never had a fever before up until that point, the kid was just healthy as a horse. And they were like, okay, just monitor. If he seems super cranky, give him a little Tylenol, you know, don't let the fever get above, you know, this just keep in contact with us. So it was five days straight of us in Florida and him with a fever. And, uh, my husband actually took me up, my birthday's on July 29th. So my husband took me out for dinner for that. And our, my in-laws, you know, watched Lucas and they called us on our way home and was like, Hey, his fever's like getting even higher. So I ended up calling the on-call pediatrician here up in Virginia. And they said, you know, it has been almost now six days, like just take him to an urgent care or an emergency room, you know, just, just go ahead and go. So my husband and I, you know, we, took off our date clothes and put on our cozy clothes and, you know, packed some snacks because we figured we'd be there for a while and went to the hospital, to the local emergency room. And Cliff's Notes version, by 4 a.m. that next morning, we were being admitted onto the oncology floor of a children's hospital uh, two hours away. Um, we rode by ambulance and basically all of the testing that they did when we went to the emergency room 
Um, at first they thought he had a bacterial infection, so they were admitting him to the hospital there, but before they could even get him settled, the actual doctor came in with her pajama pants on, her scrub top, and her doctor's coat, and I knew as soon as I saw her, this isn't normal, this, like, something is wrong. So, um, they said, we, looking at his blood results, we are 99% sure your child has leukemia. And... I about that. I mean, it's eight years later. Look, I still like, you know, tear up. Um, but and and two, I was sitting there actually pumping breast milk to feed my child, like when she told me this, and I'm just like, wait, what? So they put us in an ambulance, took us to a children's hospital. The oncologist was actually waiting in his room when we got there because at 11:49 that morning he would turn one. And they had to diagnose him before he turned one, because at that time, the protocols for treatment for 365 days and older was one thing, and under 365 days was another. So if they could diagnose him before he actually legally turned one, he could have the under one treatment protocol, which they said had a higher success rate, was easier you know, on their bodies. And so, I mean, we were like, like my husband and I were both like signing papers. I don't even know what we signed. We could have been giving them our house, but we were just signing papers so they could basically wheel him back. And they put him to sleep and did a bone marrow tap on his hip. Um, and they said, you know, we will, they basically like flew it to Mayo Clinic um, to get it, you know, expedited for the testing. Um, but what's funny is that when we were walking into that uh, hospital in Florida, uh, I'm a big Alabama football fan, totally random factoid about me, um, but I saw an Alabama football balloon when we were walking in, and something about that told me, like, I think you're going to be okay. I, you know, I don't know why. And so when we met our oncologist, he actually just moved from UAB, which is the University of Alabama at Birmingham, and he's a renowned uh, children's oncologist. And so he knew kind of where I was from, knew like my hometown. I felt very comfortable like with him. Um, so when he, you know, and it was a very, I think, I think Lucas was in there for like two hours, but it seemed like 17 hours and he came and he got us and he was like, listen, I just want to let you know, one of the papers that you signed was for me to take some extra bone marrow so I could look at it myself. And he said, I have, you know, I'll, not all that he does, but he does so many of these surgeries and tests that he is like, I can, you know, look at it in the microscope, kind of give a little bit an idea of what's going on. And he looked at us and he said, I am 1000% sure that your son does not have leukemia. He said, I would bet my own life on it, that that result's going to come back totally fine. And he's like, so I think you need to know right now. You don't need to wait two and a half hours. You need to know right now that your son is okay. We don't know what he has. We don't know what's going on, but he does not have leukemia. And I just, you know, for it to be his first birthday, it was also the best birthday present I could ever have <laughs> um, for him. Um, we were just so thankful and so happy. Um, he ended up having um, a, a virus that mimicked leukemia in the blood. Um, and the oncologist actually told us that had he gone to his little birthday party and been around so many other people, he could have contracted a bacteria or another virus that would have actually killed him because he had zero neutrophils, no white blood cells. Like 
a fly could land on him and would give him a disease of some kind. So the fact that we ended up in the hospital was actually a blessing in disguise because it actually kept our baby safe. Um, so we were there for another week. My parents ended up driving down, you know, from Alabama. My mom brought all the cupcakes she had ordered from the bakery and we gave them out to the nurses, to the other kids that could have them, you know, on the floor. Um, but yeah, we were there for a week until he was healthy enough to be discharged and we came home. Uh, after that, the kid just stayed sick. Cold after cold, he was just sick all the time. He'd run a fever, he'd get better. He was in preschool when he turned two. And he would be in there for two days, come home sick, have a fever for a week and get better. We'd send him back and it was just this constant like cycle of sick. And I remember telling my husband, I said, I killed myself breastfeeding because the, re the research shows that if you do that up to a year, your child is supposed to be healthier. <laughs> and I'm like, no, <laughs> that was not true. Um, but I, we ended, he ended up having some lung issues and some breathing problems. So he was on it two inhalers a day. Um, one that would give him a horrible rash on his mouth. The other that made him have night terrors. So that was awful for two years of age. And I was just kind of at my wit's end. We were seeing two specialists. We were also seeing allergists. And we finally one day went, I took, my, I took him to a checkup and I said, listen, you keep telling me my son's lungs are weak. What can I do? What? I'm a stay-at-home mom. I am a smart woman. Tell me what to do to help this child. If it's physical therapy 24 hours a day, I will do it. I can go without sleep. I've done it for the last two years of my life. I'm pretty good at it. And I was like, just tell me what to do. And he looked at me and he's like, there's nothing you can do. We just have to wait it out till he's five. Because at five, they could diagnose him with asthma. And I'm like, what's, what? That's Such three bullshit. years from now. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. So much. And that whole and day, I... one day, what the hell's one day make a difference of like, mm -hmm. seriously. Yeah. Yes. And they're so... supposed to be intelligent. Yeah, I, mm. Amen. Yeah. So I, I don't know why. So, for some reason, that's where that shift happened because that for on that particular day, maybe I was just, just cranky enough. <laughs> That just Alabama like, enough. Just Alabama <laughs> enough. Yeah. That I was like, that is unacceptable. You know. And yeah. I put my child in the car, brought him home, put him down for a nap. And this, you know, you know, like the Facebook meme of like Jim Carrey doing like this. That was me. Um, I was fired up and I was like, I am going to fix this. I don't know how. I don't know when. I am done. I am go like, this is, I'm going to do this for my child. This is my job. This is going to happen. And I just started reading every piece of research I could get my hands on to. Cause I, like I said, master's PhD. I like the scientific peer reviewed, you know, I'm very good at weeding through the BS online. Yeah. And yeah. I just, you know, was, you know, looking for immunity, boosting lungs, muscles, because in my, you know, non-medical opinion, the lung is a muscle. I'd always been taught, like when I was an athlete, if a muscle is weak, you can work to make it stronger. So why can't we work to make a lung stronger in some form or fashion? Um, so I was Googling lungs, herbs, strength, you know, just all kinds of things. And I started running across the word elderberry more times than I wasn't. Um, so I started looking into it, started reading research studies that have been conducted ever since the 1990s on it and was like, well, this is interesting. Uh, and I ran across a couple of other herbs like astragalus and muline, 
which is actually known to improve muscle strength, specifically in the lungs, to improve lung function. And I thought, well, they sell elderberry at Walmart or Target. I don't know if you have to bleep that out. They sell, they sell it at the leading national retailer. Um, so I was like, I'm going to go buy some, and I'm going to give my son some, because apparently after all of this reading that I have done, this is what I need to try. That is a chalk full of chemicals. I don't need to be giving my child at two. Uh, let, let's try it and see what happens. And so I go, I go to I go there, I look at the bottle and it's like red number this and blue number that and like other ingredients I couldn't really pronounce. And I was like, oh, come on, man. Like, no, no. I'm like, I'm not going to do this. So I'm, a, I'm from a German family. My grandmother's farm, my grandma and grandpa's farm, I actually had elderberry out the wazoo on it, according to my dad. I don't really remember that, but he's like, oh yeah, elderberry is what we use all of the time. I'm like, dad, hello. Why did you not bring this up to me before? Um, thanks for that. You didn't so ask. He, I know, right? <laughs> so he dug out my grandma's elderberry syrup recipe because he's like, you couldn't buy that stuff in stores before. And she just threw a bunch of stuff in and, you know, because he did not actually go to an actual doctor until his physical for when he went into the bureau. And that was at 23 years of age. And he was like, you either got well or you didn't because we were poor and we couldn't afford to go to the doctor. <laughs> so, and all of his, you know, siblings survived. But, um, so they just did, you know, kind of everything at home. And so I got my grandmother's recipe. I made it. My child hated it, like ran away from me, hated it. But I thought, you know what? I can tinker with this. Like I can make it something that he would like. Like, let me keep researching like ingredients. These are, you know, that are good. That I could add in and kind of work with the ratios. So I read a lot about honey and how that's a good antiviral, antibacterial, natural sweetener that has a lower GI than cane sugar. So I added that in and lo and behold, he loved it. And after seven days straight of taking it, he started saying, mommy, I want my yummy syrup. And he has called it that ever since. Uh, that's now on the bottle on our label, elderberry yummy syrup. But within six months of him using that every day, we were released from all of our specialists. No more lung function issues, no more inhalers. He was a perfectly healthy little child. And he, he's the kid that never misses days from school, which he doesn't like. <laughs> but, you know, he would go to preschool and he would be just fine. When he goes back to school at the start of the school year, he's the kid that isn't absent three days later because kids, you know, spread their germs and they're not used to it anymore. And they're out sick the first week. So it really transformed our family. And I started sharing that. I created a blog. I created a Facebook group for local moms where we could share information and not feel judged because there are a lot of mom Facebook groups are like, oh my gosh, you made a Snickers? Like, mm, no, you know, or I can't believe you gave your child tree bark or, you know, something. So it's very like health for everyone is very polarized, I feel. And mm -hmm. for me, I'm like, listen, I can go on a five mile run. I've hiked the Grand Canyon rim to rim three times in my life. Like I I'm a healthy person, but I will have a Snickers for breakfast if I want to and not feel bad about it. Like I'm everything in moderation, do what makes you happy as long as you're not hurting others. Um, so I created this safe space for moms and once kind of cold and flu season rolled around that year, I started sharing the elderberry specifically. So I said, Hey, this is what we use. If you guys want some, I will make you some. Let me know. Come get it off my doorstep or ring my doorbell. Like take, take a cup of it home to your kids and see if you like it. 
And a lot of people were using elderberry that I didn't realize. Like, I didn't realize a lot more people knew about it. And they started calling me and they said, Aaron, oh my gosh, like yours is amazing. My child actually wants it. He is crying right now because I won't give him more. Whereas the stuff they buy off the shelf, they have to force them. They think of it as medicine. So I wanted to be able to share that with other moms or dads that wanted to use elderberry, but their kids hated the taste of it because I was becoming known as the the kid-friendly elderberry syrup. And my husband was like, oh, oh you need... You need like a business license. We need some insurance. We need, you know, we need, we need, we need. And I was like, but I just, I just want to help. I just want to share. And he's like, no, first we have to protect and then we share. So I went through the process of becoming a food bright. business. Oh, no, no, it very much <laughs> is. Um, so went through the process of becoming a licensed and legal food business in the state of Virginia. And Aaron's Elderberries was born. Um, you know, people are like, oh, that's so cute. Play on, you know, the E and the E. And I'm like, not really, because I was literally standing in line at the licensing office. They're like, what's your business called, honey? You didn't write that in. I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so I literally just came up with that thinking, well, I'll think of something cute later and like rename it. I didn't really realize how business actually works. Um, but yeah, it's still that, obviously. Um, but no, I, you know, started selling at my local farmer's market. I just, I told my husband, I said, you know, I want to go to the farmer's market twice a month. You and Lucas will have, you know, your time together, quality time. I can talk to other people about something other than poop or diapers or, you know, something child related and it will all be great. And within a month, I had expanded to three full-time farmer's markets. I had hired other mom friends to help me run my booths. Um, so I would educate them about elderberry and all of that, and they would help me sell and at that time, I only had two products. I sold the honey that I put in my syrup, and I sold the syrup. And now, four years later, I have over 20 products that I make, hand make, make everything by hand, that are all elderberry or aronia or honey focused for health. So, yeah, <laughs> that's the um, long, short version of it, of how it's connected. So I never set out to be a business. I never set out to own a retail store like I do now. I never set out to be a business mentor, which I am now. And I've actually just launched my second company, which is a commercial rentable kitchen for other small food businesses, because it is something that I have found over the last four years of being a food business that our county drastically lacks. Um, our local food makers do not have an affordable close. The closest one is about an hour and 20 minutes away. Um, to go and, you know, legally make their, their food items for sale to support their families. So I decided to create that for them. Because so. it has to be in a particular environment, correct? Yes. To manufacture to, it? Yeah. So most, um, we have what's called cottage laws or exemption laws in the United mm -hmm. States. So Virginia has exemption law, which basically says like, hey, yeah, you can bake cookies and sell them out of your home. You can bake cakes out of your home. You can, you know... Um, uh, can pickles and jelly and sell that out of your home or at a farmer's market. But what you can't do is you can't sell it online. You can't ship it and you can't sell it to another store for them to resale. So wholesale. Um, you also can't sell anything or make anything that contains meat, 
that is time or temperature controlled. So you can't make like a cheesecake that you have to stick in the refrigerator. You actually have to go to an inspected kitchen to be able to make and sell that. You can only really make these shelf stable, um, non-acid foods. So, um, and a lot of people don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Oversight is good, especially when it comes to food. It keeps us safe. It keeps us healthier. Um, you know, and there's not, dog hair or cat hair, you know, in your food because someone has 17 cats and they're making pot pies. (laughs) So, you know, it definitely keeps us safe, but they're tricky. They're confusing. Um, and it's also expensive, um, to be able to do it. And for someone who's just trying to make their dream come true, it's very difficult, you know, um, to do that. So I, you know, kind of like what you say, when you have that shift over the last four years and really the last two years, I've really had that shift of, I want to help people do what I have done and make that because a lot of these, especially women, I talk about moms a lot because I am a mom. Right. And I, and I feel that Um, a lot of these moms that have become stay at home moms, but they, they want to kind of find themselves again, or they want to feel like they're contributing to their family while still being able to be a stay at home mom. They don't want to go off and have a career where they work from eight to five every day. They still want to be at home with the children, but they want to feel like they are contributing more than just being at home. And I I feel the need or the worth, you know, in that, because I felt that when I left the bureau, I was like, whoa, this is a totally different, you know, feeling. And I just, I want to help other women or moms accomplish that and not put their family in debt to order to start in order to start that business that they kind of have a dream yeah. for so well like that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> but it's also an effect of who you are you know like i can completely see like you know problem solution and then <laughs> yes you know now all the other parts come that you didn't have any idea that were even there because that's like i love what you said about um that moment where you were like the Jim Carrey thing, you know, like you just had like had the frustration. Oh yeah. Cause yes. like during the pandemic, I had uh, something like with my skin that I just like took a year and a half to get to the oh, bottom wow. of it. And I, yeah. I go through all of the stuff, hospitals and, you know, COVID and like trying to get the answer. Right. Oh, I At can imagine. At the end of the day, I'm like, like you, I'm sitting there and like, they tell me to, you know, I'm with the head of, hepatology for like doing all these tests and she's like, Oh yeah, everything just looks really good. But I'm sitting there looking at the screen and I can see in red flashing letters, please tell this man he has stage four liver disease, stage four fatty liver disease. And I'm like, what is that? And she goes, Oh, that's nothing. Everybody's got that. She goes, just go home and eat right and exercise. And I was like, sweetie, I've been doing that for five years. And like, I have like, cause I would get cysts. I would get like, uh, like, mm-hmm. boy, I would have to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. I got MRSA infections all the time. I would oh, go in. Wow. It was oh like seven days on like IV drip antibiotics every time it happened. It was happening every month. I couldn't figure it out. Wow. And, um, yeah. So I was the same way when she said that. I was like, mm. from the time I had mm-hmm. that same energy. I was like, oh, just get me home to, <laughs> I'm going to Google yeah. something and something's like, just like that was my, was my energy. Like mm-hmm. I am yeah. done with this shit. And I'm yeah. like, now send it to me now like i need to know now and like five minutes later i am on this guy's website speaking directly to every crazy symptom i've ever had the Mm -hmm. past three years all related to fatty liver disease that nobody's talking about and he had a protocol 
which is basically, yeah. you know, getting off sugar. I was a sugar addict. And mm-hmm. like, ha- like I went through that process and I went, I have clean liver now. Like I, yeah. I did the That's thing. Awesome. Congratulations. That's Thanks. fantastic. It's, but yeah. It's, but it's you're like, like, you're championing what I'm talking yeah. about is that like, we have more control over our health mm-hmm. than yes. we think we do when we stop, mm-hmm. when we get to that hell no spot with like, I yeah. get that there, I get physicians are help. I'm not saying that at all. They're right. amazing oh, yeah. and they're godsends, literally. But they don't have the answer to everything. And like when we people like get in situations, that's where like energy and life is taken. It's like, mm-hmm. hey guys, look over here. Like, well, look what you did. I remember elderberries yeah. when I was growing up on a farm. So like I remember that. Yeah. I remember people still it's like a folklore. And <laughs> but like yeah. Yeah. I love that you were like, uh-uh, this works. <laughs> And yeah. like you did it like, so congrats on all of that. That's just like, I believe that that's kind of where we all kind of get to. It's okay to feel our frustrations. They're there for a reason. They're always there to pop us and evolve us to the next place. It's yeah. just sometimes you got to get to that, like, hell no. But even oh, yeah. bigger than all of that, my takeaway is that you were in action with it. Cause I'm a coach. I, I, it's my mm-hmm. passion to help people manifest their dreams and, and, Okay. All of this stuff. Awesome. And I've been yeah. toying around with the idea of creating, I do high ticket coaching for people for, because okay. like in mm-hmm. the world, if you're working with somebody, they have to really want it. And mm-hmm. you know, you have to, it can't just be, I'm going to pretend to sh-. like, I'm over half-assing my life and I don't allow it around me. So like people show up in yeah. my space, we're ready to make some stuff happen. So it's like, mm-hmm. I just vibe like that. And yeah. so like hearing you, I just totally relate to that. Like, no matter like I'm so excited for what's next for you like do you have like yeah. where are you at with <laughs> um you know I feel it's expanding like, yeah when everybody's like okay like what's next and I'm like what's next a nap a nap is what's next because do you know how long I've been working on this kitchen like my dad was actually up here for the last five weeks kind of helping me finish the punch list for this new commercial kitchen and we had our very first small business use it this past weekend but I'm like, okay, now I just, I just, I need to breathe for a minute. And I also need to enjoy where I'm at because I have learned over these last four years of being a business that things have happened so quickly that everything is, you know, everything is great. And I have like zero complaints, but for me, I'm like, I need to slow down and actually smile and actually look at that and be like, you did that. Like you go girl, you know, like, like, actually, like I have everyone saying like, Oh my gosh, you're so great. I love you so much. Like your stuff is fantastic. Like you are awesome. And I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks. Bye. As I'm running down the hall to my next meeting. Um, so I don't get to, I don't let myself stop or make myself stop and just be like, look at where, what you have done and where you have gotten yourself to now, you know, slow down a smidge, breathe in, breathe out, and then go forth and keep doing awesome things. Um, I kind of did that at the start of this year when we had a little lull in our construction for the kitchen. And I actually really enjoyed kind of how things were going. But then this kind of finishing it out and rolling it out, it was just very busy. But what I would love to see next for myself, um, because everything has just kind of, I have very much followed the organic path that this business has gone on, which I never wanted to be a small business mentor. But when COVID happened and people were, were looking to create food businesses because they got, you know, laid off from their home, from their job, um, they said, Hey, I could make food and sell it. Everybody needs food. And I have access to ingredients. 
they were looking for help on how to do it legally. So people started reaching out to me like, cause my friends like, Hey, I know this great girl. Like she will help you. She helps everybody. And you know, during COVID between I think 2020 and 2022, I had mentored like 47 small food businesses from all over the U S because I would research food laws in that state to help them understand what they were doing because I want them to be successful and they don't have the time it takes to figure it out. I'm like, okay, this is what this sentence means. This is what you need to do as far as your paperwork and all and your licensing. Um, because I didn't have that and I could have been in business six months before I was, if I wasn't doing this. Right. Yeah. And so that I six try to, months is valuable. It's a lot of like, time. Yes, it is. Yeah. And I try to be that person that I needed, you know, when I started. Um, to date, I have mentored 58 small food businesses across the U.S. Um, in helping them start or kind of figure something out. And I do it all for free. I do, I do it as a donation of my time to my community. I don't charge a penny. No, um, no, no, no. I know. Um, so, and people are telling me that I should turn that into a business. However, yeah, we are going to communicate after <laughs> this and I will set you yeah. up because yeah. I was already pricing um, your offer when you were talking. So yeah, no, no, no. Cause you've yeah. like, my point being by saying that story is you've inspired me today because oh, we you. only do something from desperation or inspiration and it happens either way. It's just so much better when it's inspiration. So I've been doubting myself. <laughs> Or should I do this other experience where I, because mm -hmm. I've walked through that experience. It's not easy. I'm a, I can coach people through the belief systems because that's really what you're going to move yeah. out of the way. Mm -hmm. And so like, I could smell those things, mm -hmm. but like that whole thing about like what it really takes mm -hmm. to get your ass off sugar is extraordinary experience. And I like, mm -hmm. I could walk somebody through what that it's a yeah. process called fat adaptation. Mm -hmm. So my mm -hmm. body, I've made, I, my weight has not fluctuated more than two pounds in the past two years. Like yeah. literally I don't focus. I don't eat sugar very much anymore. If I have it fast even more, mm -hmm. but there's a way yeah. to like maintain it, but to get yeah. your body to start mm -hmm. burning fuel mm -hmm. from carbohydrates to burning it from fat, which is how we're designed. Mm -hmm. That takes a process called fat adaptation and yeah. it's, it is a crazy ass experience and you got to buckle down. It's about my oh. process was 27 days before I, you know, you do keto mm -hmm. till you mm -hmm. don't lose weight. And then that space till you yes. do, that's when your body converts. Mm -hmm. And so like walking through that. So I've been debating on whether I should do offer a court or offer experience where I walk people through that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it. You know, I it. feel like, I feel like you and I could be like besties because I'm a, yes certified holistic health and nutrition coach. So I'm like, oh, let's just talk all night. You know? <laughs> well, I could, and we've already been on here for an hour, but I love you every know. second okay. of it. We'll continue because you're totally giving me Reese Witherspoon vibes, which I love. <laughs> I love you. Okay, now, you're, now you are my bestie. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of got that little bounce on Sweet Home Alabama. I'll have to watch that over the weekend. Um, That's one of my anyway. favorite movies. Okay, yes. Sorry, I digress. So, let's see. Yeah, what? The final thing that I would like for Aaron's elderberries, because my original company was just the elderberry, the aronia, all, you know, those immunity themed items. And then we became a, a retail store that we have other small businesses that we talk about and showcase and all of that. Um, I really want my, you know, we say manufacturing because that's what the state of Virginia says we are. We manufacture food. It's all done by hand, but we're still considered a manufacturer. I really, my goal is to get into a large 
like premium retail. We do a lot of wholesale across the United States and actually globally. We have retailers in Italy and, and France. What right store? Now. What store? What store? What store um, do you want in? Let's play. Oh, we can yeah, manifest this. I, I, what store? <laughs> so my goal is I either want Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, or Giant. Um, because Giant is kind of local to this like area. Pick one. Tart- Pick one. Just in your mind, pick one. Whole Foods. Yes, it's Whole Foods. One. It is Whole Foods, yeah. by the way. It is mm-hmm. Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. So how many yeah. stores in Whole Foods? I don't say that's just it. I don't know. <laughs> Here's the deal. This um, can I, you, will you play with me? Will you? Will yeah, you no, with me? for sure. This is how you manifest. This is, you're listening, guys. This is how you manifest. <laughs> so there's so much energy. Like it's just the universe needs your spec your specifics. Okay. So it's Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. This already happened. It's already in the store. I'm going to show you exactly how to do this. And you're going to practice. This is how it's going to happen. My little bottle. Yes. Okay. Okay. How, how many stores do you want this in? Because they go by regions and they go by sections till they go global is my understanding. So, because I've had other people have tried to get like oats, little oat things in there. But anyway. Yes. What is your, how many, just how many stores? I don't, I don't even know how many stores they have. How many is in like our Doesn't region? Doesn't even matter. This is um, you. How many stores do you, let's go percentage. 45. Let's say 45. Uh, 40. Oh, I love 45. That's a nine. Cause we, cause so we could legitimately, we could legitimately supply 45 stores easily. So because okay. a lot, I know a lot of small businesses, the problem is they try to get bigger and they can't supply and then that's an issue and then they fail big yeah, time. So is. I would I never, it. while I want to go big, I want to control like, you know, our growth. Who's your bestie? My bestie is actually, well, other than my, my husband, um, my bestie is actually my director of operations now. Um, we're like family. So so (laughs) in your mind right now, take a big, deep breath. So I want you to imagine yourself walking in that 45th store right now. You're there to cut a a ribbon, you're walking in, <laughs> you see your branding, you see it on the shelf, you turn the corner, you literally see it, your heart's kind of beating a little bit faster, you're like, oh, shit, I totally did, oh my god, this is here, this is here, people are literally buying my product, they're sitting here like, I'm signing jars of this elderberry <laughs> stuff right now, follow me? I love follow it, me? yeah, okay. yes, yes, this is how you do it, this is how you do it, okay, so this already happens, now I want you to pick up the phone, like imaginary, pick up the phone and you're calling your bestie. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You're calling your friends. You're calling your friends. You're calling your Mm -hmm. bestie. I want you to tell her your experience, get into it of turning that corner and what that feels like. Tell her what that feels like that you sold out of everything Mm -hmm. in the store and you're in 45 stores. Like that's how Mm -hmm. you manifest. You literally, in your mind, have this conversation with her. Okay. That's how you manifest. All right. And when that 45th store and that ribbon happens, I'm going to fly you over to experience it with us. I'll be there with my YouTube channel. It'll be the best <laughs> video ever. Because I'm telling you, this podcast is going to do something. Because, like, I have, I love everyone that I've done so far. But this one's really special. Just Thank saying, you. just Thank saying, you. just saying, just saying. So, um, what is your big takeaway from today? My big takeaway from today is, I mean, speaking with you, right? Not just my day. This podcast. Yeah. This conversation, this conversation. That 
not, you know, when we were talking about stereotypes earlier and stuff like that, like I did, I, you know, before I go on a TV interview or do a magazine interview or a podcast interview, I always do my research. That's just what I do. And I have listened to, you know, some of your podcasts and how you speak to people and, you know, you talk about stereotypes and all of that. I feel like everyone kind of has the same kind of personality sometimes, like when you're just listening to them before you meet them. And my takeaway from today is that don't always assume the last thing of your day is going to be just another thing. Um, because this is, you know, you say like, this is one of your favorites. Probably this is one of my favorites too, because your energy is just so great. You're, your personality just shines through an electronic even. So I can only imagine how awesome and fun and kind you are like actually in person. And that that's my biggest takeaway from today is just the people, the reminder that the people you randomly get to meet can have such a positive influence on your life in a small way that could potentially be a big way, you know, when you, don't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Of My course. takeaway for today is that, you know, like asking for a sign just a couple of days ago, I asked for a sign if mm -hmm. I should do this thing, even though I already have mm -hmm. one in progress that's already happened, but like, should I do this other thing? And like today, like you made that possible. Like that was my, that was my sign from the universe okay. that this I... is the this is the time and I have all the pieces Good. and it's like Good. you know once you learn the formula to something <laughs> it's so easy mm -hmm. to and you have the system for it it's just so mm -hmm. easy to to keep expanding and keep evolving because that's I my whole that. mission in life is to help dreamers like me accelerate their evolution because that's what's happening on the planet and mm -hmm. I know listening to this that you guys got like huge value out of today I know I did and um Think about like your story and how it's been, what it showed you, what it's given you, the gifts, even the really crappy parts still have gifts attached. And even when you think it's the worst time ever in a blink, it could be the best day ever. Like just mm -hmm. hang on, follow that process. Thank yeah, you so much for your story. Yeah. Hell you know? No, keep writing because that thing. Even, well, and even though you think you may know it, you don't, you know, I thought my story was written and not only is every chapter different, it's like every other page, you know, it's like, hold my beer, watch and watch this. So <laughs> exactly. I love when people don't give up, you know, and, and keep on, yeah. keep on going. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, darling. It's been amazing, amazing, amazing. So guys, huh? enjoy this one. <laughs> Take this one in. <laughs> much love. And we will see you on the next one. Bye guys. Bye.